Now, I've spent far too much time recently in waiting rooms, particularly in the Royal Hallamshire uh, Hospital. Many of you will know that, um, unfortunately, at the moment, my, my dad is not a well man. He's, uh, he's just been gone through a big dose of, of cancer. Um, and he's, he's at the other side now and he's doing well. But as a result of this, we spent loads of time in hospitals. And one particular place I've spent a lot of time is in the, um, the hospital uh, pharmacy uh, in the Royal Hallenshire. And it is pretty much the most dour place that you could ever visit. I mean, like, you're talking, it's, it's just grey walls, grey dirty walls, those plastic chairs that are linked together so nobody can throw them at anybody whilst they're in there. And it's, you know, lit by, like, just those fluorescent beams, that really harsh lighting, but that doesn't really light stuff. Do you know, the, do you know what I mean? Just, just, really, just harsh on your eyes, but doesn't give any kind of warmth to it. And, uh, and this room is just full of rows and rows of slightly greyish-yellow people with horrible coughs because of the amount of radiation. You think if they do turn off that light, a lot of them would be glowing because of the amount that they've had pumped into them. Really, like a really miserable place. And it, and it takes forever to, to get your uh, prescription. I was up there this one time in particular... And I was, I was sitting there. I must have been sat there for, for about 45 minutes. Um, and I knew there was a bit more of a wait because there were still rows and rows of people who'd been there before me. And, um, do you know, I'm not going to lie. Do you know, at this point, like, do you know, all of my kind of grace and bubble and buoyancy had, had gone out of me. I was, I was just starting that process of, oh, flipping heck, I've been here for ages. Another 10 minutes and I'm going to have to renew my parking. My parking's down there and my dad's sat next to me just after finishing treatment. I need to get him home. I'm like, why Why is it taking so long? You know, it's only a couple of creams, a couple of pills. Like, I, c- I can't believe this. Inside, inside, I'm really starting. Do you know when you're just, you know, you're trying to put the face on for everybody else. You've got, you, you got your game face on because you're there with your, your dad and you know he's a bit worse. But really, you're just increasingly miffed to be in the environment you're in. Have you you've been in those situations? So I'm there this one day and then all of a sudden, it got so much worse, like really bad. Because about five minutes later, this guy walks in with a face like absolute thunder. He just rolls in with his buddy and he's like, I can't believe this. I cannot believe this. I have been here for over an hour, over an hour. Where is my stuff? banging on this window, this one little window. There's no natural light in this place, just, a, just this one window where you pass your pharmacy and wait for your goods. And he's, he's hammering on it. This is ridiculous. You shouldn't have to wait this long. Especially when you're ill like me. Services in this country have gone to pot. Flipping NHS. It's rubbish. He's like, as loud as he can. Now, the pharmacist is there desperately trying just to talk him down. Just, sir, just wait. There's lots of... Please, sir, it's busy today. We've got lots... No! You get my stuff now! The whole atmosphere in this room just went from grey to black. It was oppressive. Everybody's eyes just dropped down. Of course, being the brave man I am, I didn't say anything. Like, with everybody else, my eyes just dropped to the floor. Don't look at me. 
I don't, I don't want that fight today. I just want my stuff. Or I want to get out of this room, maybe have a nice cup of coffee, then I'll head back up to Liverpool. Inside, I was fuming at him, actually. You know, I was fuming. It made me just so angry. I was like, mate, we're all in the same boat. Didn't say it, but just sit down shut up. Come on, mate. Like, I was feeling even more hard done by. Do you know, and it, went, it just went on and on and on. She couldn't, she couldn't placate him. And then something amazing happened. There's this small 30-something blonde lady who'd been sat there the whole time in the back corner of this room. And I'd not noticed her until this moment. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, she spoke up with a huge, warm smile on her face. And she said, oh, calm down, you. Calm down. Just be glad you're not in America. You'd have to be paying for everything there. Cost you an arm and a leg, that would. Not even, not here, though. Stop complaining. Stop, just stop complaining. Think you're hard done by. You should uh, bob over the road to the children's hospital. Then you know what hard done by is. Poor little lambs haven't even started life yet. And they're on all these things, aren't they? And some of them are going to finish too soon. You're not hard done by. Neither am I. Just sit down by me and shut up. (laughs) And be thankful, she said. And wait like the rest of us. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this, you know. And if that cost of that is a little waiting, then I'll wait here all day. And so should you. Come on, sit down. I've never seen a man disarmed so quickly. And I am rarely, I am rarely convicted in the moments of my life so quickly of the wrong state of my heart as I was in this moment. This woman was so warm, so genuine in her gratitude, and so right in her perspective that all of the frustration in me just melted in a moment. And I was glad to be there. And I was glad to be with my dad. And I was glad that it was help for him. That wasn't meaning I had to remortgage my house. And I watched this guy who had been so aggressive, grumbling and frustrated, turn to look at this woman with a stare, looked at her, and then his face just dropped. And his shoulders dropped. And he sat down next to her. And just began having a chat. (laughs) And what was amazing was that instantly in this little grey box of a room, the atmosphere changed completely. It was like somebody had found a secret hidden window to the springtime outdoors, opened it up and light and air had flooded into that room. People, for the moment in their waiting, were just chatting. They were talking just getting to know each other a bit, just waiting happily. And everybody was waiting for at least another half an hour, even this, even this guy who was there grumbling before. It was genuinely amazing. Absolutely nothing had changed in anyone's situation, apart from one lady openly showing her thankfulness. Thankfulness. 
it literally changed the colour of this little grey waiting room from an oppressive hell to a little taste of heaven. It was a joy to be there. I laughed with my dad for a good 20 minutes. We were just talking about how thankful we were of all the free services he'd received. I've been, um, I've been thinking about something recently. I got this from Chris Butland's private slide collection, actually. Just, <laughs> it's, it's there with ponies and stuff. But, <laughs> yeah, but this is the theme I've been thinking about recently. Like, I think some of you have heard me just briefly, briefly mention it. I think there are a lot of, lot of words, particularly biblical words, that we like to Englishify. I mean, we make them nice and gentle, a bit wet lettuce words, like peace, meekness, mildness, gentleness. These words, they're words that we sort of, you know, we know, but they're not the cool words in the Bible, are they? They're not power, you know, authority. Do you know, I think we can do this in this, particularly in this competitive world. They don't sound like particularly competitive, achievement-focused words, do they? But do you know what? When we do this... We remove their immense power in the world that we live in to give us access to situations and completely transform situations. These words are all incredibly powerful words. And in Christianity, we miss the fact that these are some of the key tools that God wants to give us to bring some of his kingdom to earth. Genuine thankfulness and deep gratitude are not just things that we should practice from time to time. They're not one of these softy, softy marshmallow words. They are deeply powerful things that can carry people through the worst of circumstances and transform the worst of circumstances into the most glorious of moments. It's the antidote to grumbling and misery which drags down. Like in that story, it took it from a grey place to a black place because of that grumbling and moaning that came into the world. It makes things oppressive and hard. Even when circumstances are not that bad, the antidote, the cure is gratitude and thankfulness. It is incredibly powerful. <laughs> I often don't finish sentences. You know, like my wife's constantly picking it, me up on it. She's like, yeah, Matt, you started a sentence. Could you, could you not make me try and guess what the other half of it is? Like, it's a bad trait, especially when you're a preacher. But just deal with it. You can't really see that. I've got a question for you, a bit of interaction. What would you say the most important commands in the Bible are? Love your neighbour as yourself. Thank you. You gave. What's that? Love God. Love your neighbour. Any any others love jumped to mind? Love your enemies. A lot of love. Yeah. Forgive each other. There's there's some great ones, aren't there? Some really good one-liners. What's that? Don't eat the fruit. Don't eat the fruit. Yeah. I, that, oh man, I've been telling my kids to eat the fruit all the time. I'm like, am I in trouble now? Um, no, it's true. Sorry, Josh. That's that's good. But I do want my kids to eat fruit. Do you know, there, there are these, these one-liners, these powerful one-liners. I think a lot of us would go to, um, like we did straight away, we'd go to Jesus' uh, interpretation of the Ten Commandments. So I was surprised not to hear any commandments in there as well. You, you really shouldn't steal and stuff as well, just so you know that. 
The, but there's, there's another way. There's another way of looking at this, this question. The Bible has these powerful one-liners one that we can often overlook, which is that there are a set of commands that are the most repeated commands in the Bible as well. And uh, as a parent, actually, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about repetition, and uh, I use repetition with my kids. There are some things that I say over and over and over again because they are the key important things that I desperately want them to know. I want them to shape my children. I want them to really, in all circumstances, know these things. So we've got a set of one-liners with our children. So if you ask Erin, and I did this just to check this was true as well, I wasn't just making myself sound better as a parent than I thought, well, than I am. Where does true beauty come from? And she will tell you, beauty comes from the inside, not the outside. Because I want her to know that true beauty is about the way she is in her heart and what's going on inside her, rather than her appearance. That's what we want her to live in. If you ask her what we should be happy for, she will tell you, be happy for what you have got, not sad for what you haven't got. Because I don't want her to be just constantly looking to the next thing and dissatisfied in her lot. I want her to genuinely know the joy of just being happy for her lot in life. And my personal favourite, if you ask her who she will marry, she will tell you, somebody like Daddy. (laughs) I kid you not, I kid you not. But the point of that is, I, I try my very best, I fail, but I try my very best to model a man of love and affection to my wife and I desperately want my daughter, who, who loves God as well, and I desperately want my daughter not to end up in some kind of abusive relationship. That's a real fear for me. So there's some key things you see, but I repeat these. We have probably said these at least once a week to her, every week of her life, and I'm so, I'm so glad to see they've settled in, because nothing else I said does. <laughs> and do you know what? In the Bible, God does the same thing with a set of commands. There's a load of commands in there that he repeats because he wants them so desperately to shape his children, you and me. He wants us to know them. Do you, do you know what these are? Anybody got any ideas? Oh, it's definitely in there, Ken. Don't jump the gun, though. It kind of comes in at number four on the list, actually, but it's part of a bigger list. Do you know, they are, they are these. God says, do not be afraid. That's number one. Do not be afraid. Praise God the Lord, rejoice, is up there at number three, and give thanks. One source I read on the give thanks one says it crops up 385 times in different forms throughout the Bible that there is a command there to give thanks. John Piper is an American, I'm going to come back to him in a minute, and he's a brilliant mega pastor, Um, and he's brilliant on this. I think they are a little bit in America because they have Thanksgiving every year, so uh, once a year, a preacher has to prepare a talk on Thanksgiving and get to grips with it and what is placed in the Bible, something that we don't have to do so much here. But he says that all of these four things are essentially the same things. They're the command to be happy and joyful. You know, all of them essentially come back to that. I, you know, I think they've each got a slightly different twist. But essentially what they're saying, all of them, I think, is pointing to the fact that if you go back to my story, the Lord desperately wants his children to live like that woman in the waiting room rather than the man or me in that place. He desperately wants that to be a part of our character and the way that we live with deep thankfulness. Just a couple of verses that show this. 1 Chronicles 16, 8-9. Give thanks to the Lord. 
call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. Philippians 4, 6-7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, give thanks to the Lord in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It is of utmost importance to God that we are shaped into thanksgivers, that we are thanksgivers. So if this is so important though, like, where does it, where does it come from? How do I get thankfulness? Is this a, you know, is this a bit of a cruel, cruel thing actually? Because, you know, do we have those people who are just, they have a disposition where their cup is half full and there's the others where it's half it's half empty. That's just the, the way we're made. So actually, thankfulness is just an unfair thing for some of us because we're not made that way and we're just forever going to get irritated at those jolly people over here and they're not going to see the worth of us over here even though we're telling him, no, that's really dangerous. Is it, you know, is that what it's about? Or is it about circumstance? Do you know, is it just that actually thankfulness comes from our, comes from our circumstance? Some people have a lot to be thankful for. Do you know, they've got that house, they've got that job, they've got the family, they've got the children, they've got everything that I always wanted. I just don't have that, so I don't really have anything to be thankfulness. Is, is it about that? Well, listen, I, I don't think that's the case at all, actually, at all. I think thankfulness is a choice that you make, and Butters used the word posture already today once. It's a nice holy word like perspective, but we, we use posture. But posture's good, isn't it? It's a, it's a position you take towards circumstances to say, thank you, Lord, to put your body in. It's a choice. It's an active decision to look at the circumstances you're in differently and to see the grace that you stand in with them. I want to just use an example to, to show this. Hopefully, I don't do this very often. This is a bit, you'll see it's a bit contrived. I want to introduce you to two people, Mona and joy. I'm proud of myself when I do things like that. You know that. Both are equal in position. Just imagine them, the two, two ladies, same job, you know, same, same house, same irritating boss, same repetitive things that they have to do. But Mona, she's looking at the situation. She's seeing everybody around who has more than her. She's, she's looking at the situation going, oh, yeah, but I don't own my own car like them. I don't, uh, I don't have, you know, I don't live in that place that I want to. My husband, he let himself go a bit. He's got a bit of a, bit of a tummy. I'm just so unhappy here. I'm not where I want to be. I should be, having, I should be having more. I deserve more. That's the story she tells herself. And so because of this story, she sees herself right down at the bottom of the pyramid, of the low, of dissatisfied. That's how she's looking at circumstances. Joy, on the other hand, has a different perspective. Joy comes at it going, listen, I, I see that you know, I'm privileged here. I've got work. I know loads of people who don't have work. They don't have a steady income. In fact, I was reading the other day in the newspapers about how actually just by living in this country, I'm in the top 20% of, of, kind of wealth in all of the world. 
Do you know, actually, yeah, I don't have a car, but do you know, I get to walk to work every morning. And actually, as a result of these things, Joy's perspective is, or should be, different. Joy, who's in the same place, sees herself at the top of the pyramid. And because of that choice, because of that perspective, because of that posture she's taken, there is gratitude and thankfulness in her heart. Not about circumstance, it's about the perspective that she takes, the choice she makes. Do you know, I think in the Bible this point is made in numerous ways. Just very quickly, like if you look at Jesus giving thanks at the Last Supper, Luke twenty two nineteen says, that, And he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. He gave thanks for it. And he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus, in this moment, is giving genuine, heartfelt thanks. Yet what is just about to come for him? His body is just about to be broken in the most brutal way imaginable on the cross. And actually, if you read on in this passage, he goes on to explain that somebody, one of his close friends, is about to totally betray him as well. I mean, his circumstances were about as bleak as they get, yet he was choosing to give thanks for the bread in that circumstance. You know, equally, as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, like, you, you can read Paul's life as an absolute tragedy. I mean, he was beaten, threatened, abused, lashed, put on trial, gone without food or water numerous times, imprisoned, shipwrecked three times, I think, just for good measure, and was eventually killed. Yet, in his writing, we see this man overflow with thanks and gratitude. If I was in either of these situations, I would have great cause for being grumpy, I think. Great cause for misery. Do you know, I've followed you, God. I've totally pursued you, Lord. And where have you... You've left me shipwrecked and destitute and dead. I'm pretty angry about that, Lord. It's not how I expected. But you just don't see this in their perspective. You don't see it in their choice. Do you know, if I go back to the waiting room, what happened, what happened just after all of this is, like I said, I was quite low down the list and I, I was waiting and waiting and waiting and eventually it was just me, my dad and this lady in the room left over. And I just, I just said to her, just, you know, thanks so much, you know, why are you, why are you here? And, and she was like, oh, oh lads, I'm, I'm done for me. What do you mean you're done for? She's like, oh, I got breast cancer a couple of years ago. And, uh, and they got it too late. I've got, I've got tumours all over my place and some of my spine that they can't operate on. They're just, they're just keeping me alive now. She had more cause than anybody else in that room to be dissatisfied with her lot. More reason to be angry. I mean, she, she was younger than me. I just looked at her and I said, look, thank you so much. You, you challenged me, you lit up my day. One of those moments where I knew as a preacher I had to, I had to share her story. It felt like really important to me in that moment. And, um, and I just said, thank you. I said, look, if I ever find myself in your situation, I hope and I pray that I can go through it with as much grace as you've done. You've, you've really... Transform the afternoon for me. And we went on our way. She had chosen not to be a moaner, but be a joy. 
and the fruit of that was remarkable. I want to just take a swing to the left here. I want to introduce this new series to you this morning. It's a series about highlighting some of the lesser touched upon yet magnificently powerful ways the gospel of grace and favour should change our way of living. I've given you a little bit of a tongue twister with the title, Gospel Giving Living. Gospel Giving Living sums it up. I keep saying like gospel living, giving, giving, living, living, giving. Gospel giving living. And in doing so, as it changes you, It should empower you mightily to bring God's kingdom to others in the world. You see, the gospel at its heart is you being given all of heaven's riches and wealth as a free gift. But not just so you can be rich. So you can live a life that gives those riches on to others. This is not meant to just be understood in our minds. It's meant to change the way that you approach and live your life and all the situations and choices you encounter. The more the truth of the gospel seeps into you, the more there should be an old way you lived before you understood it, And the more you should be moving to a new style of living that reflects Jesus and those who came after him. The gospel should change your way of living to a giving living. It should take from the riches he gave you and pour those out onto other people in all circumstances. And if this process of growth has stopped in your life, then you're in trouble in your Christianity. Because this is the process of Christian maturation and the evidence of following Jesus, that we grow in increasingly understanding the grace and favour that we stand in, the extravagance of what Jesus has done for us and to us, And we trust in it, and then we pour it out in increasing measure through our changed lives on the world. So much of the Bible, and particularly the New Testament, teaching is built on this idea. God has given you his riches that you might have the resources to give to the world out of them. You just have to read Paul to see it. He uses therefore so many times, therefore, where he explains something about the magnificence of the gospel. Then he uses this magnificent word, therefore, which means in light of this, this is how you should change. There's one place more than another I just want to draw your eye to this morning, though, with this point, which is if you want to memorize a verse in the Bible, let me just invite you to memorize this, where he explains and captures this idea that the gospel is for more than just uh, just our knowledge. It's for for life to be poured out on the world. He says this in Ephesians 2, 4 to 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loves us, even when we were dead in our wrong way of living, made us alive with Christ. By grace, 
you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is a gift from God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them there is so much incredible truth in this passage but two things just in light of the series firstly this god has poured out his riches in the gospel this is what the good news is of jesus sent from heaven to die in your place for all your wrongdoing who was raised to life defeating the power of death and who is now seated at the right hand of the Father and commanding all of history and has sent the Holy Spirit to bring you into unbroken relationship with him and to see his power in the world. This is what it's about. He has fundamentally changed your place and identity before him from an enslaved pauper who is dead to God to one who has access to all of heaven's riches. And then secondly, we see in this that all of these riches are not just for you. He has done this work in you for you to do what? Good works. He didn't light a lamp in you to hide it under a basket. He lit for you to take that lid off and shine before all men. Point to the place of safety in the darkness. You are his workmanship for works. He wants you to take what he's given you and give this then out to the world. Do you know, this idea underpins evangelism, but it has a far broader impact on our lives. And as I've said, what we want to do is we want to look at some of those lesser touched upon things in this series that he has given you in the gospel and all of its riches that have the power as we give those things out to change the world. And the first one today that we're looking at is thanksgiving. That's my aside done. That we should become thanksgivers, givers of thanks in light of the gospel. Because the gospel has given us a platform for deep gratitude in every circumstances and trials of life. It's like what Chris C.B. was saying today, actually. Did you hear that in his prophecy here when he was speaking? He was saying, listen, sometimes we get annoyed at unanswered prayers. Sometimes we get annoyed that in this, in this finite thing, God hasn't responded to us. And he said, look at the eternal thing, actually. Look at what Jesus has done. Look at what he has secured for you. Look at what he's done. That is established in eternity. In eternity. If you understand it rightly, you understand that you are always at the top of the pyramid in every circumstance because of the fullness of what Jesus has done. 
and where you now stand as a result. As such, he always enables you to enter every circumstance and trial with the power of thanksgiving in your pocket, ready to pull it out. It doesn't mean that the circumstance doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't mean that the circumstance doesn't have to be genuinely sad. It does mean that he has given you something mighty to call upon, that he wants and commands you to call upon in that situation. But only if you choose to stand in the truth of it. Only if you choose to position yourself in that humble gratitude and trust. Only if you posture yourself in light of the gospel and what he's done, like Jesus and Paul modelled. Look, I just, I just take to this guy. This is the guy I mentioned earlier, John Piper. Lovely smiley fella. Do you know, I came across a public confession by John Piper that I think expresses this truth brilliantly. He wrote it in 1994, and I just want to read this confession to you, to his congregation. He said this, Congregation, one of the effects of my speaking nine times to pastors in Alaska recently was conviction for my sin of grumbling. What happened was this. I spoke on the things that I love the most. I spoke about the great and glorious God of Christian love and hedonism, the God who works for those who wait for him, Isaiah 64.4, the God who withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly, Psalm 84.11, the God who pursues us with goodness and mercy all our days, Psalm 23.6, the God who works all things together for the good of those who love him, Romans 8.28, the God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all and so will surely give us all things in him, Romans 8.32, the God through whom we can do all things, Philippians 4.13, the God who supplies our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19, the God who will help us and strengthen us and hold us up by the right hand of his righteousness, Isaiah 41 verse 10, the God who will never leave us or forsake us so that we can confidently say that the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what can man do to me, Hebrews 13.5-6, the God who will complete in me the work he began, Philippians 1.6, the God who presents his fullness of joy, and whose right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16:11. The God who has all authority in heaven and on earth and who will be with us to the end of the age. Matthew 28:18 to 20. The God who disciples us for the, for our good that we may share in his holiness. Hebrews 12:11. The God whose eyes run to and fro throughout the world seeking to show himself mighty on behalf of those whose heart is whole towards him. 2 Chronicles 16:19. The God who knows the hairs on our head and without whom no not a bird falls to the ground, Matthew 10, 29 to 30. The God who rejoices to do good with all his heart and soul, Jeremiah 32, 41. The God who rejoices over us with gladness and exalts over us with loud singing, Zephaniah 3, 17. What a list. When I heard these things coming out of my mouth, he said, I was deeply convicted that my heart had grumbled in these recent months. Paul said, do all things without grumbling. Grumbling is an evidence of little faith in the gracious providence in God and the affairs of our lives. And little faith is a dishonour to him. It belittles his sovereignty and wisdom and goodness. Do I believe these things? Is my faith strong? I will not grumble. Pray for me. 
that I will be glad in the Lord and receive willingly from his hand all he designs. Thank you for wrestling with me in prayer, Pastor John. I find this confession so helpful because what he's essentially saying is, guys, sorry, I realised that I stopped standing on the rock of the truth. I stopped standing at the top of the pyramid where Jesus put me, on the foundation he's put me on, in the relationship he's put me in, in the truth that he's established for me for eternity. I stopped doing all of those things. I stopped living in light of a thing he had given me in the gospel. My posture changed, my perspective changed, and I started grumbling at this free gift. And the the challenges of life hit. And my kingdom light flickered and dimmed as a result. I stopped transforming rooms, changing lives and atmospheres with gratitude in what he had done. Pray for me that I may walk once more in the goodness of the gospel. If you're a Christian here today, the gospel is done. Firm foundation, job finished. You've been created by God from the dust of the earth and he has seated you in heavenly places and bestowed an honour on you that you do not deserve, his riches. And God would invite you to live from this great foundation of grace he has given you and give thanks and rejoice in all circumstances. He said, not not acknowledging those circumstances, but giving thanks for the grace that is in them, so that you are a lifter of head, a changer of atmospheres, like the lady in the waiting room. Just to finish with this, a challenge. Do you know, so often when we come into Christianity, we, we carry with us patterns of lives that went before. And one pattern of our world is grumbling and groaning and focusing on the bad and having criticism in our hearts. We live in a fault-finding world which seeks to drag people down, often, rather than bring the light of thanksgiving to situations. But it's so important that we do not carry this baggage with us. But instead, that's something that we say, yeah, Lord, I'm going to leave that behind. I'm going to hear the 385 times you command me to give thanks. I'm going to hear that list of great truths of what you've standing in me. And by faith, I'm going to choose to stand in that perspective. I think John Bloom, uh, again, a guy from uh, Desiring God Ministries, so John Piper, just highlights the importance of this so so, so effectively with this quote. He says, grumbling will forever be the language of hell and gratitude forever the language of heaven. Grumbling will forever be the language of hell. Have you ever thought about that seriously? I think we should. And gratitude forever the language of heaven. His point is this, that taking a posture of grumbling, groaning and complaining, when God has done everything he has done for us, pulls us and others back into the negative grips of hell. Just like when the Israelites started to grumble about what God had done for them at the Red Sea, if you know that story. They start to look back and say, oh, you know when we were back in, in Egypt? You know when they were lashing us, killing our children and making us have all that hard labor? You know when we weren't free to be our own nations, when we didn't know the glory of God? Way better back, better back then. You know why? Because we haven't been fed properly. 
That's what they did. They focused on that. Rather than the fact that their Lord had parted the Red Sea, was guiding them by pillars of fire by day and night, and, and had given them manna and quail, and called them to be their own nation, and poured out his commands on them, and was leading them to be a peace-giving nation in all of the world with a great mission to glorify the true God and bring people back into relationship with him. They lost sight of that because of grumbling. Because they were speaking the language of hell still. The language that wanted to bring people into oppression with them. Becoming thanksgivers has the opposite effect. Standing, posturing ourselves on a foundation of what God has established for us in the gospel allows us to see things with heaven's eyes, lift situation, and in a very real way has the power to sanctify the world we're in. My encounter in the waiting room showed me that. So the first thing that we want to highlight in gospel-giving living My challenge to you this morning is to keep being changed in an ever-increasing, ever-increasing way by the great gospel of grace. Be shaped by that which allows you to give thanks in all circumstances. Can I pray? Spirit of God, the breadth and depth of the gospel we only ever scratched the surface of, Father God. It's magnificence, it's magnitude, the riches that it gives us, Lord. I pray just you forgive us for that, Lord God. I pray we would start to just be captivated in the way that you want us to be captivated afresh, Father God, by the magnificence that you sent your Son to earth to die for us, to completely change us, Lord Jesus, Father God, to bring us into a completely new way of living. Spirit, I pray that you would be our guide on this, Lord. Father, I pray that you would come, Lord, that we wouldn't just hear and forget, Lord God. We would hear and do and be transformed. Spirit of God, where you need us to just drop the baggage of grumbling this morning, I pray that you would come, Lord God, and you would just help us just lay down that baggage. Let go of it, Lord God, and choose a fresh, a fresh perspective, Lord God. I pray that we would all be like the woman in that waiting room. Father God, that her example would land so deeply in us, Lord Jesus. Father God, that we would know the power of thanksgiving as we walk through our lives stood on the rock in the high place that you have put us lord god that secure high place spirit of god this morning we just ask you to come father god we love you lord god we acknowledge afresh what you've done in our lives lord jesus and we say come and shape us as your people into joyful thanksgivers in all of circumstances who yes see the trial yes see the challenges yes work hard to change it lord god and stand but also know that heaven is forever secured in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.